you know, we're kind of in the middle of this, uh, uh, this, this series talking about faith, one of the most fundamental aspects of, 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 of our lives. And, and so over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at some very specific things when it comes to faith and, and how, you know, the Bible talks about how, uh, you know, faith is the only way that we can please God. You know, it's not about religious things that we do. It's not about getting, uh, you know, being in church and being faithful to, to do certain things, even though those things are a part of it. Everything has to be done through faith and because faith is the only way to please God. And also... Because of the idea uh, we were looking at, you know, in Romans, it says and God has given to each a measure of faith. And so we have this idea that sometimes some, some, this person has two ounces of faith and this person has four ounces, this person has six ounces. And, well, pastor, you have just a lot of faith and that's that because you're a pastor. And that's not really scriptural. And because when the Bible says that God has given each a measure of faith, it's not actually referring to faith. Uh, in the sense of, uh, of, of the the very raw sense of what faith is, because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So you can actually acquire more faith by hearing the word of God. And if somebody has greater faith in you, it's not because God has somehow give, blessed them with blessed them with something that He hasn't blessed you with. If anything, it's as the result of that person exposing themselves more to the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing over and over and over again. It's not faith comes by having heard the word of God. It's faith comes by hearing. In other words, it's a present tense, something that I'm exposing myself to on a continual basis right now in my life. So you say, well, I, I've heard all the stuff in the Bible. Well, that's great, but that's not how we acquire faith. Faith comes by hearing the stuff over and over and over and over again, exposing yourself to it on a continual basis. And then last week, we were talking about how uh, the way that we activate faith in our life is you got to have the capacity and the trigger. And I referred it to like being in the woods and being attacked by a bear. And if the bear came and was going to eat you and you pulled the trigger, but you had no gun, okay, you would get eaten. And likewise, if you were there and the bear was coming to eat you and you had the gun, but you didn't pull the trigger, you're still going to get eaten. What you need is you need both. You need the capacity and the trigger. And the capacity is to believe. The Bible talks about if you do not doubt in your heart or if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the capacity is what you believe. The trigger is what you say with your mouth. Okay, The things that you allow to come out of your mouth because so often in our lives, we don't miss it on the believing part. We got it like I believe. But the Bible speaks more about saying than it actually does about believing. That how important and fundamental it is for us to make sure that we that the things that come out of our mouth align up with what God's word has to say about our circumstances and what we believe. We have to make sure that, that, that our mouth, the things that we say are are, are, are right along with those things. Because if, if, if one of those things, if what we believe is wrong, it, it, you know, there's three elements. It's what we think, what we believe, and what we say. And if any one of those three is off, it, it totally messes up our ability to have faith the way that the Bible talks about it. Uh, today, um, you know, in, in Matthew eleven twenty three, 23, it says that if, if any of you say to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea, and do not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says... Um, 
that it will be done. And again, there's that reference that you have to say to this mountain uh, and, and believe that what you say will be done. It, it's putting yourself out there to say. But the, but the reference here is that do not doubt in your heart. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about doubt and what doubt is. Because uh, sometimes I think we can uh, we can associate things that we have to deal with in our life as being as as being doubt, and so I want to I want to talk about a couple things here. Let's look in James, um, um, the Epistle of James, uh, is in, in the first. Uh, first chapter of James, starting in verse 2, really verse 1, he's just kind of giving an introductory of himself, like I am James, the apostle of Christ, you know, this kind of thing. And then he starts out in, in verse 2. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, okay? knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let that man... Uh, let, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay? So James here is writing, and he says here, Count it all joy, okay, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Okay? So that there is an element in our life where our faith and your faith is going to be tested. And one of the things that we've talked about in our life is that faith is not one of these, uh, it's not a, 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 a recipe. It's not a code. It's not something that if you push all the right buttons and pull this lever, that, that your answer is just going to fall from heaven. It, it's not anything like that, okay? But th- there's going to be times in your life that as you live your life and you fight the good fight of faith, all right, there's going to be times where your faith is going to be tested. And the Bible here is saying that that testing of your faith, not in the essence of like my, the testing of my Christianity, we're talking about faith in anything that faith does, anything that faith produces in your life. Because remember, faith is reaching into the unseen realm of hope and pulling it into the realm of reality. It's all about the promises of God that God gives us and that you reach out into those in, into that realm where you cannot feel and you cannot see and you cannot touch. And it's grabbing a hold of that thing and it's pulling it into the realm of reality. But the time at which that happens... It's different, and it's different for every situation and everything that you're going through, right? The way that God works is so much different. But the reason why James says that we can count it all joy, okay, when, you're, when you face trials is because you get to see God work. Okay? The reason why James is saying that this is something that you can rejoice about is because it's something in your life that you're going to see God work. You see, you have to have faith for things that you cannot produce on your own. When you're in your life and you're living your life and things that you can do all by yourself, then you don't need faith for that because it's something on your own ability you can make those things happen. Well, we need faith to produce the things that we cannot produce ourselves. And it's faithing, faith on the promises of God, faith on the ability of God, faith on uh, what God has spoken, the word of God has spoken in our life. 
And we count it all joy because we get to see God work. And you see patience, okay? Because the testing of your faith produces patience. How many of you love patience? Yes, that's what I thought. I thought that there would be so many hands in here raised. I, look, I don't know what it is, but I have found even in my own life that I have, I have grown more and more impatient when I drive. I don't know, man. It's like I need Jesus to take the wheel or something. Because it's, and I don't, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's God's trying to do something in my heart. But it's like I will get behind every person that drives 10 miles an hour under the speed limit everywhere I go. Okay? And it doesn't matter where we're at. It's, if it's 25 miles an hour, they're driving 15. And I'm like, seriously? Seriously? Come on! You know, anybody feel the anointing right there? Yes, there's a few of you. Okay, you know, okay? Maybe it's God that's, I don't know. But patience, God, God wants to develop patience inside of you because patience is an important aspect of faith. It's an important aspect of faith because patience doesn't bring an answer to prayer. Patience isn't the thing that brings the answer. Patience is the thing that gives it time for the answer to come. Okay? Your ability to be patient and God developing patience inside of you is what God is trying to produce inside of your life to give time for the answer that God wants to do in your life. Um, You know, if you think about this for a second, you think about Abraham and and the fact that God gave him a promise that he was going to be the father of many nations, okay? And he needed patience, to see that promise come to fruition. And we know that in his life, there was a moment where he got impatient. And so what did he try to do? He tried to accomplish the promise of God on his own timing, in his own way, in a fleshly way, by having relations with a servant girl that was there and having a son that was not supposed to be the promise. You see, patience, God wants to develop patience inside of us so that, It'll give time for the promise of God. It's what allows faith to work to bring the promise, to bring the answer to the prayer into our life. Patience works on us while our faith works on the problem. Okay? Patience works on us while faith works on the problem. James goes on and says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Notice, if anyone lacks Wisdom doesn't say um, if any of you lacks faith, doesn't say if any of you lacks healing, if any of you lacks financial blessing, if any of you lacks. It doesn't say those. It says if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Okay, because the scripture says that wisdom is the principal thing. Okay, that when we understand wisdom, then we can understand all other things. That wisdom is the foundational thing that we need in understanding the kingdom of God, the way God works, the way faith works in our lives. And that's the reason why in this very scripture where James is talking about trials and he's talking about our faith, he also throws in this concept of asking God to give us greater wisdom. And if you'll ask God, God will give it to you and he'll give it to you liberally. He'll give it to you. All right. 
But when we ask, we must never waver when we ask. Wavering will lead to doubt, and doubt will lead, uh, will keep us from being, uh, from being blessed. And, and that's what we see here in James verse 7. It says, For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Don't you think that that's a terrible place to be when you're praying and asking God to do something and yet you're allowing doubt to come inside of your life? And then the Bible says, don't expect to receive anything from God if that's the way you live. If that's the way that you're living in your life, don't expect to receive an answer for that prayer because you're double-minded and unstable in all your ways. You see... Um, we must never waver when we ask. Um, the enemy, okay, the enemy will attack you. He will attack you through your mind. It may happen in the natural world around you, but it is designed to attack your mind. It's designed to attack you in that particular day. You see, your mind is the front door to everything that you are. Your mind is, okay? And Satan operates through open doors. And so when we create open doors inside of our mind through whatever avenue, whether it's through temptation, but again, we're talking about through doubt today, but it's all through our mind. You remember last week we were referring to the fact that, that we don't say things out of our lips unless they process through our minds first. And now some of us may be better at processing information before it comes out of our mouth, okay? And some of us may just allow it to go like this, but promise you this, that things come go through your mind way before they come out of your mouth. Your mouth just doesn't say things without it going through your mind. And so anybody says, well, I didn't mean to say that. Well, that's garbage. You didn't mean to say it. Now, you may not have meant to mean what you say or however it came out. Maybe you should have rephrased that a little bit differently. That's fine. We understand that. But you didn't mean to say what you said. All right. And so if you say, well, you know, I can, I'm just never going to give above this problem. I'm just never going to see God, you know, do great things in my life. My family's always going to have this problem and I'm always going to have this issue. And we're always, if you're saying those things, listen, then you are speaking from your heart and you're just speaking defeat and failure and, and, and dominion of Satan in your life, because that's not the way God wants you to live. And so if you're confessing that, that's actually a, a, a product of what's inside of your heart and what's inside of your life, all right? And so, uh, you know, the enemy, though, all of those things that come through our lips originate in our mind. And if we allow open doors inside of our mind, okay, then we create an opportunity for the enemy to come in and to sow seeds of doubt when it comes to the promises of God in our lives. Satan operates through open doors. When we give him an open door, when we begin to break down walls and barriers of faith and God's word in our lives. You see, just because you've had a bad word or a thought or idea come into your mind does not mean that you've sinned. And it doesn't even mean that you've doubted. Okay, But you have to get rid of that. You have to eliminate that. You know, let's just... Um, I have to tell you this. This is my, my great confession. Uh, I am terrible at, um, at gardening. I just am. You know, if the economy goes bad and there's no more food in the grocery stores, I'm coming to your house because if my family has to survive off of my ability to grow tomatoes and stuff, we ain't eating. You know, it's just not going to happen. I, I don't know what it is. It's like everything that I touch my hands to grow, it's just bad. You know, it either doesn't grow or it dies. All right. 
Anybody else have that anointing or is it just me? Okay, there's a couple of you. Uh, you know, uh, we all need to make sure we have uh, uh, um, a way to survive, you know, in, in, in the apocalypse or something. But um, if let's just suppose for a second that you're, uh, that you're fixing your garden in the front of your house and... and uh, and and you're you're trying to make it. You got this plan and this vision for everything that you want in this garden. And your next door neighbor comes over while you're doing this, and he takes you know a bunch of uh, green bean seeds and throws them down in your garden. Just just random, you know. So you know those crazy neighbors that just do random stuff from time to time. You're like, what are you doing, man? Okay, he just comes over and they throw green bean seeds down in your garden. You're like, what? What in the world? You know. If I wanted green beans in my garden, I would put green beans in my garden. I don't need you coming over here throwing seeds in my garden. Okay? So if that's you, okay, the natural inclination then is to go get all, pick them all up. You got to get them out of the garden. Otherwise, you're going to have green beans growing in the garden. You don't want green beans growing in the garden. Now, maybe you do. Okay? But, you know, if you didn't have that in your mind, that's not what you want. Okay? So, you know, when, when Satan throws down the seed... In the fertile soil of your mind, you have to make sure you pick them up. All right? You've got something inside of your mind and, and the way that you want God to live and, 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 and the promises of God and the hope of God and the things that, that God has spoken in your life. When, when the enemy comes in and he begins to plant seed inside your mind, you got to make sure that you pick them up, that you don't allow them to stay there and develop root and and and. and in, in, inside of your mind, because when it does that, it'll make its way towards your feelings and emotions. When those thoughts and those ideas uh, make root inside your mind, then it, what happens is, is it goes from our minds to our feelings and our emotions. And it affects everything that we are. And then if, if they are not managed, they will run over your life and control everything that you do, even your relationship with God. Um, you know, I know when I was younger and some of you might be able to relate to this when I was younger, I used to live, uh, I used to live in my relationship with God by my emotions that I had. Uh, if I came to church and was worshiping God and I didn't feel God, I would automatically think maybe there's something wrong. Maybe I've done something. Maybe, uh, maybe I missed something that God wanted me to have. And oftentimes in my life, I, I would live my life based upon the emotions that I was feeling in the moment. Uh, and, and, and it affected everything that I did. If I was emotionally into it, I'd give God everything I had. And if I came and I wasn't emotionally into it, I would just think, well, you know, the service is dead. Or, you know, maybe there's something in my life that I need to, I need to do better. And I, I always had this thing going on inside of my life where I was constantly questioning. And it's because I was being led by my emotions by the emotions that I was dealing with. And, 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 and so later on in my life, I learned to realize that my feelings and emotions have nothing to do with my faith. Okay? And that my feelings and my emotions have very little to do with the, the pleasure of God and the presence of God. You know, I, I remember, um, you know, Kenneth Hagin, you know, he said one time, that talking about, you know, his ministry, he said, I have had some of the most significant miracles happen in my life in the moments in my life where I have felt nothing at all. 
Okay, that I, ne- I didn't feel the presence of God. I didn't sense anything. Some of the most significant miracles happened in my life in the moments where I have felt nothing at all. And, 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 and that's the thing that we have to understand is that, you know, and, and it's one of the, one of the downfalls, I, I say downfall, I, it's just, it's, it's a trap area of Pentecostalism in a way that, that our faith can become all about our emotions. That we, it's, it's like our faith is a hype faith. That we just want to get hyped up for Jesus and, and stuff like that. And, and, and while you, want, you don't want to live your life uh, by hype and emotion and those kinds of things, um, you know, you, you got to make sure that, that, that faith is something that you live and it's constant every day. And it doesn't matter how you feel. That the right thing is always the right thing, and it, and it means nothing about our feelings. Our feelings have very little to do with the pleasure, the will of God, okay, and how God wants us to live. And, and you've got to get to a place in your life where you're not controlled by your emotions and your feelings. But if you allow the enemy to come and plant things inside of your mind, and you don't remove them quickly, it will affect the way you feel. And then you become affected by those kinds of feelings. And you feel like that maybe God isn't being good to you, or maybe God isn't going to answer your prayer. And, and those are the things that begin to produce doubt inside the heart. You see, emotions, when we put our emotions and our feelings in charge of our life, the thing that you have to understand is that emotions and feelings do not know how to find answers and solve problems. Emotions and feelings do not know how to find answers and solve problems. They just don't. And that's where wisdom has to take place and has to take control and guide your life through steps of faith, despite what you feel in the particular moment. So the way we take control of our emotions is by making our decisions based upon the facts of God's word. I want to read a story to you in Second Kings. I think this is a great illustration of what we're talking about here today. We're talking about you know, faith and doubt and all those. Second um, Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 18. And uh, just to give you a little bit of um, a background here, this Shunammite woman was barren. She asked uh, the prophet uh, that she wanted to have a child, and the prophet said, okay, you're going to have a child. So she had a child. And now she has the child. All right, Second uh, Kings 4.18, it says, And the child grew... Uh, and now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him, he brought him to his mother and he sat on her knees till noon and then he died. Uh, and, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, please send me some of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It's, it's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And, and so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her far off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run down to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. 
All right, so here we have the story. Um, and the child here is, um, she dies uh, in the arms of her mother. And, and any of you, you know, you can just imagine, okay? Maybe you can't, maybe you can. Um, the, the, the turmoil uh, that this lady is, is feeling right here in this particular moment. But the Bible says that she takes the boy and she lays him upstairs and she doesn't even tell her husband what had happened. She doesn't even tell him. You notice that? That when she went to her husband and said, hey, I need a horse because I need to go see the man of God. You know, we don't really know why. We can maybe make an assumption that maybe the husband wasn't really the spiritual leader of the household or something like that. Maybe it was because he would have made it worse or, or maybe wouldn't have helped the situation. We don't really know. But all we know is this, that she, that she didn't tell him. He, he asked, why are you going to see him? And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, he wanted to know why she wanted to go see him. But she wasn't so caught up in her emotions in the moment that he thought that there was something ridiculously wrong. She, he wanted to know why she was wanting to go see the man of God. But this particular woman, obviously here we can see she's not being controlled by her emotions and not going crazy and freaking out. She's standing upon what is to her the promise that God gave her. It's a promise that God gave her. And notice that when her father asked that, she said that it was well. I mean, who in that moment ever says it is well? Who would ever in that moment think? But, but the thing that I want you to notice is that she will not let anything come out of her mouth that is the least bit negative. She won't let anything come out of her mouth that is the least bit giving glory to the situation that she's in in that moment. And this child was a blessing from the Lord. This child was something that God had brought as a blessing in her life. And Proverbs 10.22 says that the blessing of the Lord bringeth no sorrow. And she was standing upon this particular thing and, 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 and that God blesses us to the finish. And if God gives you something, he wants you to keep it and he wants you to fight in faith to keep it. And one thing that we need to see here as we're looking through this story is that we see that not one negative word comes out of her mouth concerning the situation that she's in. She doesn't allow her emotions to take control of her life. And so we have to understand how the process of doubt works. That even when she gets to the prophet at that particular moment, and the prophet wants to know what's going on, she says, and is everything okay with the child? And she says, it is well. Again, now obviously she goes and she tells the prophet that, hey, he's, he, you know, he, he's died. And then they go to the house and the prophet goes in and, and he prays over him and nothing happens. He then lays on top of the child on, on the bed and he gets up and nothing happens. And he lays on him the second time and the child sneezes seven times and wakes up. But we have to understand how the process of doubt works. You see, you may think it's a hard thing to beat doubt because it's hard to keep track of every thought that goes through your mind. 
It's hard to keep track of the things that you think about and the things that run through. And I, I do it too, you know. When I'm praying for something and believing, look, there's times in my life where I, the, the, the thoughts that run through my head, I, it's hard to keep track of everything. It's hard to keep track of all the stuff because it's almost like, it's like zzing out of nowhere. It's like, it's like where'd that come from? And you just, and you can't even be prepared for those kinds of things. And, and, and so when we're talking about doubt, as I even quoted earlier, Mark chapter 11, verse 23, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is, is going to happen, it will be granted to him. You see, this particular passage talks about doubting with the heart, and the heart is the key. It's not doubting in the mind. It's not having thoughts of doubt. That's what it's talking about. What it's talking about is doubting in the heart. And doubting in the heart is not like, just like we were referring, believing in the heart is not believing with an organ, just like you wouldn't believe with the hand or the leg. It's not doubting with the kidneys or the lungs. It's, it's the heart refers to the spirit of man. The spirit of man, all right? And you've probably heard me give this expression before, okay? But you are a spirit. You have a soul, and you live in a body. You, the very core of who you are is a spirit man. That's the image that you were created in God. When you were created in the image of God, you were created as a spirit being. God is a spirit being. And, and if you want to connect to God, you have to do it through your spirit man. It's not going to come through fleshly ways. And while there are times in your life where God may speak to you from a fleshly way, you know, and, and, and even in the past, it may be an audible voice, so there may be an angelic visitation. I would guarantee and be willing to bet that there are very very few of us in here today that have heard the audible voice of God or had some kind of angelic visitation because primarily the way God speaks to us today is not through the same type of communication that we have with other fleshly people because flesh doesn't communicate with spirit. All right. We communicate with God through our spirit, man. And so this right here is talking about doubting in the heart. And the doubting in the heart is the most important thing that we have to understand. That you do not doubt in the heart. That you don't allow the thoughts to plant, to, 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 uh, to grow roots and then to affect your feelings and your emotion and then affect the heart of who you are. In Matthew chapter 14... <clears throat> The story here we've, we're probably all very familiar with. Verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he sent the crowds away, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the seas, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> A couple of things that I want to I point out in this particular passage. is that The first thing is, is that these guys are doing exactly what God told them to do. 
Okay? They are in the middle of God's will of their life at that moment in time. And yet now they find themselves in the middle of a storm. They are right where God wants them to be. Jesus is the one that told them to get in the boat, to go to the other side. So it's not like that God didn't want them to be in that boat. And that's the reason why the storm that they're having to face. And if you go back to James chapter 1 that we we were reading, it says, you know, count it all joy, brethren, when you face trials or tribulations of many kinds. Trials and tribulations and storms aren't necessarily a direct link to the fact that you are outside the will of God. Because these guys, they were right in the middle of what Jesus told them to do. And yet they find themselves in a storm that is so great that they were afraid that they were all going to die. They were being battered back and forth by the storm. And the Bible says that in the fourth watch of the night, do you, do you know what the fourth watch of the night is? Uh, according to Jewish custom, there was, there was four watches in the night. Okay? Four watches in the night. So it just common reasoning would tell you where the fourth watch of the night was. <laughs> okay? The fourth watch of the night is like, uh, you know, the crack of dawn. That's kind of where the fourth notch of the... So these guys have been having a little lock-in on a boat, okay, that's about to sink the entire night, okay? They're, they're fighting for their lives. They're in the middle of the storm, and they've been in this storm for quite a while, and, they, and, and, and I'm sure that they've been crying out for help. Where is Jesus when we need him? How come he's not answering us? How come we're not being saved? Why did Jesus tell us to go across the sea? We're all going to die and Jesus is going to have to start all over. I mean, imagine the things that are running through their mind as they are kind of going. And it feels like this storm is lasting forever, that they're not ever going to get through the other side. And the Bible says that it was the fourth watch of the night that Jesus showed up to him. That almost the very last moment, the very last time, the very latest moment that Jesus could show up, he shows up. Right before the break of dawn. And, you know, if you have to wait a long time and it looks like it's going down to the wire, that's when you know it's a miracle. Right? Because, again, faith is not a, a set of codes where you, if you push the right buttons, it'll happen in the moment and the time that you want it to happen. If you're ever in a trial and you have to wait, don't ever give up because Jesus knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what's happening. And, uh, and he'll show up if we'll hold fast in the moment that he wants to show up. But I want us to look at Peter here and the fact that he's walking on the water. Peter was able to walk on the water. Listen, he w- whatever it was about Peter, you know, Peter was this figure all throughout the New Testament where he, he kind of had a tendency to say really glorious things in, in moments. And at other times, you know, Jesus is calling him the devil, you know, and, and that's kind of the life that Peter had. But he's here in this moment, and he tells Jesus, he says, hey, if that's really you, Jesus, tell me to come out on the water. And, and Jesus speaks back to Peter, and he gives him one word. He says, come. And whatever that was inside of Peter, it activated something inside of him where Peter was able to walk on water out of one word out of the mouth of Jesus. One word. 
There's one word out of the mouth of God is the only thing that mustered up enough faith inside Peter for him to step out of the boat. I mean, there's not a, there's not a precedent set for walking the water, right? It's not like, hey, yeah, I went through some of this training when I was a kid. You know, my mom tried to show me how to do this. Uh, nobody does that. Nobody does. I mean, if anything, that's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And yet for one word out of the mouth of God was enough to activate faith inside of Peter where he believed in that moment that he could step out of a boat onto a raging sea of water and walk. Now we know that as he, as he does this, um, that he began to sink. And the reason why he began to sink was because he began to focus on his circumstances. Okay? He began to focus on his circumstances. He was no longer focusing on the word of God where Jesus said, come. Now he's focusing on all the things. He's focusing on the facts around him. The fact is, I'm walking on water. And I'm in the middle of a storm. And this shouldn't be possible. And this isn't possible. And this is crazy because I'm about to sink. And and he begins to focus on all the circumstances around him that tell him that there's no way he should be doing what he's doing right now. Instead of focusing on Jesus and the person who said, come, and gave him that word, he's now focusing on all the other things. And that's when he begins to sink into the water and begins to cry out to help. And it's in that moment that Jesus picks him up and he says, why, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You see, doubt causes you to start to sink when the Bible says that we're supposed to fight the good fight of faith. To fight the good fight of faith. When, when doubt throws its seed into your mind, you must respond to them with your faith. Luke 6, 45 says, The good man out of the good measure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. His mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. You know, Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. Ron, if you'll come, says... The heart of a righteous of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Listen, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Ponders how to answer what? Ponders how to answer doubt. How do you answer the doubt? How do you answer it? The Bible says that the heart of a righteous man finds a way to answer the doubt that he's dealing with in his life. And the way that you do that is that you find the word of God for your situation. Whatever it is, if it's a promise that God has given you, then you find that promise. And when those moments of doubt come your way, you answer your doubt with that promise. If it's a 
spoken over you in your life, that, that, uh, that, that a, a direction or where God wants you to be or something that God wants you to do, and it just seems like everything around you is not working out, it's not going the way that you want it to go, then you ponder and you think of a way to answer that doubt. You respond to the doubt, and that is the way that you pull the seeds out of your mind. That's the way you pull them out so that they can't plant, they can't, you know, plant inside of your mind and then grow into your heart and your feelings and your emotions and become a part of the core of who you are. But you have to answer them. And the way that you answer them is to know the word of God. You know, the scripture says that there's one thing in life, there's one thing that we deal with that leads to the destruction of more Christians than anything else. One thing, there's one thing that leads to our, our destruction and our, our backsliding or falling away than, than anything else. Now you may say, well, it's the devil. He's me. It's, it's sin, right? It's got to be sin. It's got to be sin. Well, it's, it's temptation. That's what it is, temptation. Nope. You know, Proverbs says this. It says, my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. It's not lack of church attendance, not lack of giving, not lack of raising your hands in worship. It's lack of knowledge. You don't know how to respond to the seeds of doubt that the enemy throws in your mind. And those doubts hit your mind. And because you don't know how to respond to them, because you don't know the word of God for your situation, and you don't know how to respond in faith to those moments. They, they take root and they latch on inside of who you are and they become a part of your feelings and a part of your emotions. And they affect the very heart of who you are. You see, you need to have prepared answers for the situations that you face. You do this by understanding the word concerning the situation you're in. The step of faith is when you see what you know you need to do and then doing that thing and then you get another step. And so we eliminate doubt in our mind by studying the answers. We eliminate doubt in our minds by studying the answers. But the doubt's not going to just go away because you hope it goes away. Okay? You've got to do something with it. You've got to address it and you've got to study the answers. I want to read you a poem. As I kind of wrap up today, it says this. It says, let me meet you on the mountain, Lord, just once. You wouldn't have to burn a whole bush, just a few smoking branches, and I surely would be your Moses. Let me meet you on the water, Lord, just once, and I wouldn't have to be on White Rock, on White Rock Lake, just on a puddle after an annual Dallas rain, and I would surely be. Let me meet you on the road, Lord, just once. You wouldn't have to blind me on North Central Expressway. Just a few bright lights on the way to chapel, and I would surely be your Paul. Let me meet you, Lord, just once. Anywhere, anytime. Just meeting you in the Word is so hard sometimes. Must I always be your Thomas? You see, God wants to meet you in His Word. 
God wants to affect the doubt in your mind in his word. And so many times we want God to do it in a way that he hasn't designed for it to be done. And so the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ, hearing the word of God. It's exposing yourself over and over and over again. And we don't want to do it that way. We want to pray. We want to say, God, give me more faith. We want to pray for faith. We want to ask for faith. We want to believe that some people have more faith than others. And, and then we create these ideas based upon our experience. And, 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 and it's just like this. We want, we want some grandiose, great thing. We want an audible voice. We want a light out of heaven. We want a burning bush. We want a fleece or something like that where God can make known to the world everything that he wants to say and do in your life. And God is saying, look, just go to my word and I will meet you there. And I will eliminate the doubt in your life. But we don't want to go there. We want to do it some other way. We want, some, we want a quick fix and something for God to do for us. And, and God is saying, well, if you want to remove the doubt in your life, this is the way that you have to do it. This is the way you have to do it. And we have to understand that. Just stand to your feet today.